Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This is the Tom Hartman Program. We are now past a thousand people dead in America. Expect to see that number start doubling every few days. This is going to get really grim. This already is really grim in a lot of places in the United States. It's going to start getting really grim really fast in New Orleans, across the state of Florida. This is going to be sweeping across red states. The red states are just a little behind the blue states. The blue states are the population centers. The blue states are where the big international airports are. The blue states are where the virus seems to be coming into the country more than the red states because the red states tend to be low population states without much economic activity. I mean, that's, that's, <laughs> that's how the Republicans are able to bamboozle people. This is going to get bad, and, uh, which I guess we've known all along. So meanwhile, we discovered today that back in 2016, after the 2014 Ebola outbreak, the Obama White House had the National Security Council, now this was back when the National Security Council had a pandemic response team. Trump fired those people two years ago. But that pandemic response team put together a manual that literally is called the Pandemic Playbook. What to do if a pandemic happens, whether it's SARS or whether it's a horrible form of influenza or whether it's some ancient virus that just you know, broke out of the ice in Antarctica or whatever. It's literally called the National Security Council's Pandemic Playbook. And it has questions like, quote, is there sufficient personal protective equipment for healthcare workers who are providing medical care? If the answer is yes, what are the triggers to signal exhaustion of supplies? Are additional supplies available? If the answer is no, should the strategic national stockpile re release personal protective equipment to the states? Another question, what is our level of confidence in the case detection rate? Is diagnostic capacity keeping up? So somebody yesterday when Politico published the fact that the Trump administration was given this handbook when they came into office in 2017, in January 2017, they knew about this handbook. They were, they were, they were briefed on it. It's only a couple of years old. So the Trump administration knew about this. So what did they say when Politico called them up and said, hey, what about this handbook? They said, we are aware of the document, although it's quite dated. The plan we are executing now is a better fit. Right. Or as uh, Laura Clausen over at Daily Coast says, ha, 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 sob. Trump fired the pandemic response team. The Department of Health and Human Services staged a simulated pandemic last fall but still managed to be unprepared when this one hit. The Department of Homeland Security stopped holding pandemic simulations, part of Trump firing those people. And, and why did Trump you know, fire both pandemic response teams, the National Security Council and the Department of Homeland Security? Why did he fire them both? Why did they shelf this pandemic handbook? Probably because it was all done by the Obama administration. Anything done by America's first black president was something that Donald Trump was not going to touch. That's what it comes down to. It had cooties or whatever, it, you know, however he characterizes this in his racist little mind. 
Meanwhile, the coronavirus does not slow down Trump's regulatory rollbacks. This is a piece in the New York Times. President Trump is pushing ahead with major reversals of environmental regulations. They are working to complete a half dozen significant rollbacks over this month. Weaken automobile fuel efficiency standards, loosen controls on toxic ash from coal plants, relax restrictions on mercury emissions, weaken consideration of climate change and environmental reviews for infrastructure projects. Uh, The aggressive timeline is aimed at shielding the policies from easy reversal if Democrats win the White House or control of the Senate in the 2020 election. Several agency officials said they were surprised that political leaders had shown no sign of letting up amid the pandemic. A dozen federal workers who all spoke on the condition of anonymity of the New York Times all described a relentless atmosphere at the EPA and the Interior Department. The administration understands the electoral map has turned against it, said Richard Rebus, a professor of environmental law at New York University. The administration's industry allies applauded the push to complete deregulation. David Hayes, the director of state energy and environmental impact at the New York University School of Law, said this administration is essentially taking advantage of the fact that the public is distracted and is, in fact, disabled from fully engaging against this ideological push. So Trump is making the air more poisonous, the water more poisonous. He's making pollution cheaper for companies that do pollute and uh, rolling back the regulations that would protect you from having your child be neurologically damaged by mercury or having you be poisoned by coal ash in ways that cause cancer. This is a Republican administration. There's no doubt about it. Totally in the bag with these big polluting corporations. Along with us is Victoria Jones, our old friend, a chief Washington analyst with the DC Radio Company out of Washington, DC. Her Twitter handle is Victoria Jones DC. Victoria, welcome back. Hi, Tom. It's great to have you with us. So just a few weeks ago, I was reading news stories about how the UK's health minister was telling Boris Johnson, we should just let this run through the British public. You know, some old people will die, but beyond that, we'll all have herd immunity, and that'll be a wonderful thing. And that kind of thinking was what informed Boris Johnson's procrastination on this. And there's some evidence that Boris Johnson had been talking to Donald Trump, and it might have informed Donald Trump procrastinating ever since late December, early January, when his spy agencies told him this was coming. What do we know about this? I don't know what, if anything, informed Donald Trump's thinking. Apparently not the 2016 document that they saw in 2017, which Politico had uh, uncovered from the NSC, saying this is a playbook for dealing with pandemics. Boris Johnson, who has got libertarian tendencies, apparently liked the idea of herd immunity, which the UK's chief scientists were touting all over the airwaves. And not surprisingly, Britons were listening to this and going, herd immunity, that sounds like cows and sheep. And they were looking at each other like, we're not actually sheep. We don't even like the idea of sheep having to all die to get herd immunity. And this really went down like the Edson account. Like, you know, what's the worst advertising account ever? This is how this one went down. So then uh, number 10 Downing Street started uh, like blaming its communications team for why did you let this happen? Well, because they let this happen because it was the biggest disaster ever. I understand that in the UK, particularly in, in London, they're starting to see apparently in terms of increases in infections and ICU hospitalizations and deaths that the UK is now probably just a few weeks behind New York City. Do I have that right? Yeah, the National Health Service hospitals are calling it a tsunami. Boris Johnson gave a speech on Monday, a short speech on Monday. It was a good speech, actually. I watched it. It was a good speech announcing really a total lockdown, very severe lockdown on the UK, even to the extent they've now got drones and helicopters going over some areas saying, well, is that like a legitimate dog walk? No, it's not. Well, you've got to go back. They're even giving police powers to arrest people under certain circumstances if if they're breaking the lockdown. Um, I would like to give you two pieces of good news out of the UK before we get into some more quite extraordinary news about Boris Johnson. Two pieces of really quite good news. 
One is something that hasn't happened yet, and it is happening at 4 p.m. Eastern today, and it's called Clap for Carers. And all over the UK today at 8 p.m. their time, 4 p.m. our time, everybody in the UK or just about everybody is going to clap for everybody in the National Health Service because uh, they are just so incredibly grateful. They're going to go outside onto their balconies everywhere they are. So if people in the U.S. feel the same way about the workers in the National Health Service, they can join in. So that's one thing. And the other thing is that about a day ago, the National Health Service said, we need volunteers. We need an army of volunteers. And they gave four categories of help. If you're over 18 and healthy, obviously. Within 24 hours, they had over 500,000 volunteers to help. That's extraordinary. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's extraordinary. So you said you've got some more news about Boris Johnson. Tell us about that. Yeah, this is very interesting. The European Union reached out to Britain. They've got a scheme in the EU to source life-saving ventilators to treat coronavirus. And the idea is that the EU uh, countries are all banding together to get the best price on ventilators. And Boris Mm -hmm. Johnson has said, no, we're not going to be part of that because we're no longer a member and we're making our own efforts. And critics Mm -hmm. accusing Boris Johnson of putting Brexit over breathing because they're saying you can't get the same price. They've offered to help. I understand that Lord Dyson, the guy who invented the vacuum cleaner or his version of it and and owns the Dyson Vacuum Cleaner Company, has invented a ventilator. He's going to go into production in the next few weeks in the UK. He's British. It's going to be less expensive than regular ventilators, and he thinks he can have 10,000 of them made over the next few months. Uh, Are you familiar with that? I've heard about that. that Might that be part of Boris Johnson's math? I think it might be part of his math. There are various things that I think are part of his math, but I think critics are saying a big part of his math is that just this go-it-alone spirit, we're just doing it ourselves. And uh, a lot of critics are, are really saying, this is not the time. You know, you, you, if you can get a better price by banding together and people are offering to help, why, why wouldn't you do this? Yeah, yeah, it, it makes sense. And you said there was another, yeah. there was more Boris Johnson news beyond that? The other piece of news relates to the, the labor leadership battle that is still going on. It's hard to believe that this leadership election is still going on. It's been four months now that there's been an election going on to replace Jeremy Corbyn at the top of the Labour leadership. Of course, that's the opposition party. Jeremy Corbyn had his last prime minister's questions yesterday, and he took Boris Johnson to task, actually, over self-employed assistance pretty effectively. And this leadership contest will go on until April the 2nd. They're still voting. And there's some criticism within the Labour Party itself as to why couldn't they speed it up so that they could actually have a new leader in place to effectively take on Boris Johnson and not have a lame duck. And that's been a big discussion point within the Labour Party. Interesting. Interesting. I know you're a cat person. We were browsing around YouTube yesterday, Louise and I, and discovered videos for cats. Most of them are British, actually. And they're people throwing uh, food on tabletops and in outdoor settings and, and birds and mice and squirrels coming and snatching the food. And our cat, Ketty, spent literally five hours watching this video yesterday and then he missed two meals he would not leave the bed even when the tv was turned off he sat there for another two hours waiting for it to come back on again and then this morning i turned it on and he sat there for another few hours so you've got to check this thing out for victoria it's uh, wow kind of the, that's yeah. the, that's the answer because you're the one who told us about shoestrings Yeah, shoestrings are the other thing. But I want to get my cats playing tic-tac-toe because I've been reading about all these tic-tac-toe people playing that with their cats. Seriously? Seriously? Yeah, people are laying out tic-tac-toe on the floor and they, they play it with their cats. Sometimes the cats win. That's funny. We've been making jokes about, you know, our cat is now addicted to these videos. And, you know, should we put screen time limits on him? And now another one of our cats is starting to watch them along with him. So two of our three cats are sitting there in front of the TV going, oh, wow. Anyhow, Victoria Jones with the D.C. Radio Company. Thank you, Victoria. 
Thank you, Tom. Great talking to you. Her Twitter handle is Victoria Jones DC. The three-ring circus that is the Trump administration continues to roll along. Jared Kushner involved himself in the negotiations between this ventilator company, Ventac, and General Motors to uh, retool one of their factories in the Midwest to make these ventilators and apparently uh, blew up the negotiations. It was supposed to be announced, was never announced. And then last night on Tannity, Trump was saying, ah, we don't need that many ventilators, these hospitals. Most hospitals only have one, you know, or two. Some have none, which is all lies, of course. So a little bit ago, uh, Donald Trump, I don't know if he watched uh, uh, Andrew Cuomo's uh, thing on TV or what, but Trump tweeted and ordered GM and Ford to start making ventilators and ordered GM to make them at a factory that they have closed and sold to another company. So it's like, really? This guy so doesn't know what he's doing. He really thinks he can run a country like he ran his business, like he's a king. And he just makes decisions and, hey, you know, if things don't work out, just get another $100 million from daddy. And then when you burn through daddy's money, well, you just declare bankruptcy. And when that bankruptcy isn't enough, you declare bankruptcy again. And when that's not enough, you declare bankruptcy a third time. And then a fourth time. And then a fifth time. And then a sixth time. That's what Trump does. He kills everything he touches. And his grifter family. Oh, my God. And here we are. Here we are. We're all stuck with this guy. And it's not just him. It's the grifters who follow him around, the, the rest of the Republicans. This is uh, Governor Tate Reeves, is the governor of Mississippi. After a number of his states, Tupelo, for example, Mayor Jason Shelton, had put into place a basically a shelter-in-place or a, you know, don't go out if you're not an essential employee. So he was protecting his city. So then the governor comes out and says, no, you can't do that. Cities in Mississippi, you can't shut down. I'm unshutting you. And uh, Moss Point Mayor Mario King had closed restaurants for dining in, salons, barbershops, houses of worship, and more. Uh, this is from Laura Clausen over Daily Coast. Reese's order was completely makes our order null and void, said Mayor King. So barbershops, so this is, this is Mississippi today. So barbershops and salons are open today. People are actually at church making up Bible studies lost on Wednesday. So they're having Thursday Bible studies. I guess this was yesterday, actually. There are restaurants that reopened their dining services today, Mayor King told the Mississippi Free Press. I understand they're just trying to make a dollar, but if one person sneezes who has COVID-19 and someone else comes in, they're possibly exposed to that. So his order puts our people at risk. And he described uh, Governor Reed's action as complete foolishness and foolery and that he's embarrassed not just as a mayor, but as a citizen of Mississippi. We are, said Mayor King of Moss Point, he said, we are the laughingstock of the country because our governor has enacted an order that not only does not protect the safety and welfare of the people, but puts Mississippians in harm's way. Mississippi had uh, this morning 485 cases of COVID-19. 108 of them were brand new yesterday. They're just starting to ride the roller coaster up. And nobody has seen it flatten, and nobody has seen it go down in the United States. And we have more cases in this country than any other country in the world because Trump refused for two months to do anything about a disaster that he saw coming. Now, this is an old Republican trick. When George W. Bush was made president by the U.S. Supreme Court in 2000, in January of 2000, when the transition happened, President Clinton told Bush personally Sandy Berger told us all this on, on this program. Sandy Berger was national security advisor to Clinton. Clinton told Bush, Osama bin Laden is coming to attack America. Vice President Al Gore told Dick Cheney, Osama bin Laden is coming to attack America. Sandy Berger told Bush's national security advisor, Condoleezza Rice, bin Laden is coming to attack the United States. And Trump said, oh, you know, this is Clinton stuff. You know, these guys are obsessed with bin Laden. Don't do anything. He put Cheney in charge of it. And Cheney's task force on this issue literally did not meet until the end of August. Two or three weeks before 9-11. Literally did not meet. 
completely dropped the ball. No interagency coordination, nothing. This is what Republicans do. What was Dick Cheney doing during those nine months or the time that they were sworn in until 9-11 happened? He had convened the Energy Task Force. He was literally carving up Iraq and deciding which oil fields in Iraq were going to be sold to which companies. You know, not making this stuff up. And Trump, same thing. You know, which one of his crony corporations are going to get his bailouts? Who's going to get money from the federal government? How can they figure out a way to make money off this? It's obscene. Quick math, the less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Just head over to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. I normally find bras to be so uncomfortable and constricting, but Skims has changed that. You know I love Skims underwear, so I finally tried their bras, and Skims has delivered again. Skims bras are worth the hype for the amazing shape and support they give, but what I wasn't expecting was how comfortable they are too. I've tried so many bras in the past, and the main issue that I have is that they weren't supportive enough, to the point where they felt slouchy. I love my Skims wireless form bra because it's so comfortable and supportive. The older I get, the more I care about actually being comfortable in what I wear every day. And with my wireless form bra, I no longer have to sacrifice my comfort for the support I need. Shop Skims Bras at Skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A to 46H. Plus, get free shipping on all orders over $75. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select Podcast in the survey, and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Today we're reading from David Enrich's book, Dark Towers, Deutsche Bank, Donald Trump, and an Epic Trail of Destruction. This is from Chapter 10. It's titled The Mar-a-Lago Prize. In 1905, a German immigrant living in the Bronx set up a small barber shop on the ground floor of a newly constructed building at 60 Wall Street in the heart of Manhattan's booming financial district. In an era before skyscrapers, the 25-story L-shaped tower was a landmark its gargoyle-guarded roof visible from the nearby waterfront. The barbershop thrived, offering shaves and trims to a procession of bankers, stock exchange traders, lawyers, and office workers. Barber's name was Frederick Trump. The same year that he opened the shop, his wife gave birth to a boy named Fred. Many years passed, and the barbershop closed, and the old 60 Wall Street gave way in 1989 to a new 60 Wall Street, a 47-story tower topped with a distinctive pyramid roof. For a time, it was home to J.P. Morgan and Company. Then the bank left, and in 2005, Deutsche Bank started relocating its American staff, displaced ever since 9-11, to its new home at 60 Wall Street. And so Frederick Trump's grandson, born to Fred's wife in 1946, became an occasional visitor to the site of his grandfather's old barber shop. Deutsche's relationship with Donald Trump had only deepened since Mike Offit left. Justin Kennedy, this is the son of Justice Anthony Kennedy, Justin Kennedy, now a managing director, had become a key point contact for Trump and helped chaperone large real estate deals for him through the bank. Kennedy's role was to find customers to buy portions of loans after Deutsche dispensed the money, a process that allowed Deutsche Bank to make larger loans than it otherwise could have. Kennedy sometimes sat with Trump in his luxury box at the U.S. Open Tennis Tournament or at Manhattan nightclubs, where Trump would park himself at a table in the corner facing outward, holding court like a mafia don. Now, with Kennedy's encouragement, Deutsche hurried along a Henry Villard-like path. In 2000, the bank had plunked down another $150 million to be used for the renovations of Trump's building at 40 Wall Street. 
The next year, Deutsche agreed to extend Trump a mortgage worth more than $900 million, at the time the largest ever on a single property, so he could buy the General Motors building on the southeastern corner of New York's Central Park. Trump already owned half of the 50-story building. He wanted the rest. And in 2002, Deutsche agreed to refinance about $70 million that he owed on some of his Atlantic City casinos. Those loans came out of Deutsche's commercial real estate division, which Kennedy was helping to run. Not everyone was enamored with Trump. Seth Waugh, W-A-U-G-H, one of Edson's many Merrill Lynch recruits and the head of Deutsche's American operations, learned around 2001 that the bank was planning to lend Trump about $500 million to use as he wished, basically an unrestricted cash infusion to stabilize the developer's flagging finances. Waugh had previously witnessed up close the carnage that Trump could inflict on imprudent financial institutions. At Merrill, Edison had assigned him the task of mopping up after Trump defaulted on nearly $700 million of bonds that Merrill had helped sell for his Taj Mahal casino in Atlantic City. Waugh was in no hurry to repeat the experience at Deutsche. He voiced strong objections to the proposed new loan to Trump, in which Trump would not have had to put up any hard assets as collateral. And the deal soon died. Yet Deutsche's broader Trump relationship rumbled on. In 2003, another arm of Deutsche, focused on helping companies raise money by selling stocks and bonds to investors, agreed to work with Trump. The point man on this part of the relationship was Richard Byrne, another Merrill veteran who had been involved in the Taj Mahal debacle. Byrne had helped sell the ill-fated Taj bonds to investors. Now Trump hired Byrne's group at Deutsche to issue bonds for his troubled Trump Hotel and Casino Resorts. Byrne knew this would be an uphill battle. Not only had Trump defaulted in the past, but he also had recently been taunting investors that he might stop paying back other outstanding bonds. Waugh didn't warn Byrne about the recently rejected $500 million loan, and so Byrne organized a roadshow for Trump to meet with and try to win over big institutional investors. He escorted Trump to meetings all over New York and Boston. At every stop, boardrooms and auditoriums were jammed with traders, fund managers, senior executives, and secretaries curious to see the Donald show, and Trump didn't disappoint. He rocked, he rolled, and he delivered wildly optimistic and inconsistent financial projections. Afterward, Trump called Byrne to ask how much money they'd raised. The answer, alas, was virtually zero. Byrne braced for an explosion as he explained to Trump that though he'd been treated like a celebrity, nobody trusted him with their money. Trump took the rejection in stride. Let me talk to your salespeople, he requested. Byrne agreed and Trump came to deliver a pep talk. Fellas, I know this isn't the easiest thing you've all had to sell, he acknowledged, but if you get this done, you'll all be my guests at Mar-a-Lago. Trump was always good at pushing an audience's buttons. A weekend with Trump at Mar-a-Lago, bragging rights that not even money could buy. And this new incentive did the trick. The salesman worked the phones, cast a wider net for more clients, and managed to sell an impressive $485 million of junk bonds, albeit at a high interest rate that reflected investors' fears that Trump might default. The book Dark Towers by David Enrich. Charles in Lake Elsinore, California. Hey, Charles, what's on your mind today? I was calling just to, you know, talk about Trump and his political genius. We kind of discredit him for being an idiot, but I don't think that that's the case at all. I think that he's just mastered the art of misdirection and sleight of hand. If you look at all mm -hmm. the things that he said he wanted to do, as far as deregulation and stuff like that, we argue about race, climate change, and, and all these things that he keeps us divided on, but he's... In the meantime, in the background, he's, you know, deregulated the um, emissions for the auto industry. He's deregulated a lot of the environmental protections that we've had. And now I think with this COVID-19 thing, I don't think that it's an idiot or it was a mistake that he disbanded the group at the CDC that took care of Ebola so well in 2014. If you look at the swine flu, we had 300-some thousand deaths from that in 2009. They put together this task force this group and the CDC, and we only have 15 cases in the United States of Ebola because we went out there and we aggressively attacked the problem, testing everything. With this COVID... Yeah, I don't think we had 300,000 deaths around the flu, but yeah, I get your point. Okay, but yeah, so with this COVID thing, um, now 
the you wouldn't any logical human being wouldn't deny testing or think that hey you know what we need to get aggressively find out who has it especially how contagious it is but if you look at it from the standpoint of someone you know is in on it as far as he wants this stuff to happen so we can just kind of allow the deregulation of the medical industry and now you know with the testing for the vaccines and stuff like that and them kind of pushing it through to where okay you know what we don't have to do these mandatory tests it takes all this time we're going to try all these drugs that have been sitting on the counter to where these pharmaceutical companies are going to make a killing and you know he's doing exactly what he says like i said deregulating all these things i don't think he's an idiot i, I don't think that this is something that just happened by chance you know a lot of people if this pandemic had happened happened with Ebola. You know, a lot of these companies like Merck and whoever makes these vaccines and these tests, they make a lot of money, you know. Um, but I think I feel that, that that department and the CDC cost them a lot. And, you know, Trump's in on it somehow. He's not as stupid as, as we make him out to be. He just knows how to manipulate us and keep us divided. I, yeah, I, I think you're right, Charles. I, I would put a finer point on it, though. I would say that he's sly, not that he's smart. <laughs> Because uh, I don't think he's smart. I, I, I think you know, his, his intellect is is below average. But I think he's very sly. He's right. he's got that grifter skill set that he has fine tuned throughout his life. And I think he had to fine tune it as a child because his mother didn't accept him and his father ridiculed him and trashed him regularly. His older brother committed suicide, basically drank himself to death in his forties. And I think that this was his survival skill when he was a kid. He had to BS his way through everything, and he got really good at it. The book report that I was reading before it was about how, you know, he took he sold seven hundred million dollars worth of bonds for the Trump Taj Mahal Hotel and probably put most of that money in his pocket, in his bank account. And then he defaulted on those bonds. He walked away from them and the investors got burned, not him. I mean, that's that's this guy's a grifter, a world class grifter. And he's grifting us. Charles, thank you for the call. And he's a very good grifter. He's a very competent grifter. Welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. Dave in Goodman, Wisconsin. Hey, Dave, what's on your mind today? Yeah, I just wanted to talk about uh, this deal with hydroxychlorine. Um, uh-huh. I've been prescribed this for about eight years now. I have rheumatoid arthritis. Mm-hmm. And so Trump goes out and touts this as some miracle drug with actually no test data behind it. And now all these people have gone out and hoarded it and it's also prescribed for lupus, which probably is a worse condition than I have. And now when I want to get it, it you know, I might have a problem getting it. And apparently the, the price tripled in the meantime, yeah. too. So, you know, it's not a matter surprise, of life and surprise. death for me, but this, that was totally so irresponsible by this man. And just a typical example of, of what he does. And, yeah. you know, I mean, it's, it's like I said, it's not a matter of life and death for me, but... It, it, there's people with serious problems that this is actually prescribed for. So anyway. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you, Dave. Dave, thank you. Thanks for sharing that story and uh, tripled in price. Oh, my God. Um, I, I, I just wanted to, to tell you a little story about something that I might have figured out, I, I think. Louise and I have been trying to, you know, we've, we get groceries and when they come in, there's actually a great video over at Daily Kos right now, D-A-I-L-Y-K-O-S.com. And it's a Michigan doctor, a doctor in Michigan, who, in fact, I'll, I'll, I'll tweet it at the top of the hour, a doctor in Michigan who is telling people how to disinfect your groceries. So when groceries come, and as well, carry out food or delivered food, how to disinfect that stuff. And it's fascinating. It's short. It's right to the point. It's just brilliant. But Louise and I, you know, we've been mostly just living on the food that we had ordered uh, or back when I was telling you all to start stocking up. And we've had a few deliveries, although that one from Kroger just never showed up, even though they billed my credit card. But the conclusion I came to was, how about, you know, I'm looking for a food that I can have delivered where I can cook the container it's in, as well as the food. And so we ordered pizza yesterday. We got two large pizzas, which will last us a couple of days. And, uh, you know, local place that makes them with a great gluten-free crust and and, uh, uh, vegan cheese even. And we, we had the person leave it outside the door 
just in the, in the cardboard boxes. And then I went out and I picked up the cardboard boxes and took them into the house and Louise had preheated the oven to 300 degrees. She opens the oven door and I stick the pizzas in their boxes in the oven. Close the door, wash my hands really vigorously and just left them in there for about 15 minutes. Um, I understand that heat kills this virus. And uh, so, you know, I'm hopeful that, you know, it seems like it seems compliant with some of the suggestions out there. So we'll see. Katie in Hudson, Massachusetts. Hey, Katie, what's your mind today? Hey, Tom, I just wanted to sort of comment about a possible silver lining on all this. Uh, the fact that the entire world has sort of stopped what they normally do. You know, you hear these anecdotal comments about how the environment has improved because there's not people driving cars and flying and doing everything they're doing. And I just hope that the climate people that are monitoring these things are really taking notes because, you know, anybody that wants to deny it or fight against any kind of efforts to improve climate change or, you know, stop climate change, their biggest argument is that it'll take forever. It'll take 10 years before this will happen, or it's not worth it because India is still doing this and China is still doing that and all that stuff. And it would be nice if the evidence proves that after two months, three months, we've you know been able to markedly improve the environment just by changing some of our behavior. And maybe going forward, when yeah. we all come back online and the world comes back online, perhaps we can do it in a more thoughtful and creative way and realize that we don't need everything that we normally do to you know produce fossil fuels and all that kind of stuff and utilize them. I think that's one of the possible sides to this thing is that we're going to figure out new living that are lighter on the earth, like working from home, for example. You know, this is an extraordinary time, as, as I keep saying, and I think that there is a huge learning opportunity here. Also, if the planet wanted to design a way to keep humans from hurting the planet anymore, this was it. Now, I'm not saying that that's actually what happened, but wow. I mean, you know, it's just, it's, it's got us all sheltering in place all around the world. It's grinding industrial activity to zero. I, I, I don't know a better wake up out there. Lori in Naperville, uh, Illinois. Hey, Lori, what's up? This is the third weekend of spring breakers coming back. And in my state in Illinois will be the week that we were told to lock down last week. And they're coming back this weekend. And I hope that the governors really? will tell these people to self-quarantine. I think they should be fined or arrested if they don't self-quarantine. I work in a grocery store in Naperville from 4 to 9 every day, and everybody in my town has been following the rules about not leaving and only going you know, for emergencies, and we've been playing by the rules. So I don't want this potential carrier coming into my store. We, we have set standards. We only let 30 customers come in at a time. We let the aging go first hour. We have tape on the floor where customers have to stand six feet apart. We only have five registers open to allow open space between our workers and customers. And Governor Pritzer will be on today at 2.30, and I hope he addresses this because it's all going to happen this weekend from everybody coming from Florida and Mississippi. It's only a 16-hour drive. spring break was all over, Lori. What did I miss? Nope. Nope. Teachers. Uh, right. I thought spring break was all over. Last weekend. No, last this last week was spring breakers, teachers in certain school districts here in so outside different states of stagger them. Correct, they do. Amazing. There's about three well, weeks. Uh, First week yeah, of March, yeah, second, okay. third. Okay, I'm with you, and and hopefully that message gets out. A lot of people in Illinois are listening to this show, so you know, hopefully your your message got out there. John in Minneapolis. Hey, John, what's on your mind? Yeah, I just wanted to say history does repeat itself, and Boris Johnson will probably receive lots of copies of Charles Dickens' Christmas Carol. And, you know, you could almost redo that. I think uh, somebody probably is already working on that uh, with him as the uh, lead character, because, uh, you know, that kind of attitude has been uh, with capitalism all along. You know, it is, you know, die and decrease the excess population. Thank you again. It's a very harsh Milton Friedman, uh, Ann Randian kind of idea. But, uh, you know, I guess it works for them. You know, what can you say? Yeah. Also now, well, it's, it's the rationalization that very, very rich people and large corporations use to justify screwing average Americans and poor people. It's just a rationalization. Yep. I mean, it's
It's it's a rationalization sold as a philosophy, but as a philosophy, yeah. it's BS. Yes. And, you know, the thing is, you know, it doesn't have to be that way. We all realize that companies have to make money, but, you know, there is a way to make money and also respect life. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. John, thank you. Very, very well said, as always. Michael in Redding, California. Hey, Michael, what's on your mind? Thanks for watching us on YouTube. What's up? Yeah, no problem. Hey, Tom. Um, I had a suggestion for Trump and Dan Patrick and CEOs, billionaires, and the one percenters who feel that older people should sacrifice their lives for the economy. I really mm-hmm. feel that uh, they should put their money where their mouth is and sacrifice their personal wealth if they're that concerned about the economy. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Give up. Give up some of your cash. That's that's an excellent point, Michael. Thank you. Uh, very well said, Roy in Chicago. Hey, Roy, what's on your mind? The gentleman had talked about the movement of the drug industry from U.S. proper to Puerto Rico and then to India and, and China, and then having the drug companies keep the same level of, of price level, but yet mm-hmm. the profits go up. And then <clears throat> this is all about the concentration of wealth, as sure. written in the 21st century capital by a French author. Concentration of wealth is getting to be horrendous. Yeah, you're talking about um, Thomas Piketty's, Piketty's book. Yes. Piketty's book. So my question, no, my question, my, my answer for you is, with Amazon having $137 billion profit, besides local property taxes that they pay, what about on a federal level? Nothing? Yeah, they paid no income taxes last year. That it was, was nicely arranged in the 1990s, right? You could thank the Trump tax right? cut. Say that again? Yeah. That was all arranged in the 1990s with the development of, of the Internet and all that? Well, they're, they're operating on a structure, the Internet, that was publicly funded. It was developed by DARPA. And, in fact, it was originally called DARPAnet. It was, you know, it was paid for with our, our dollars, but uh, they're not paying any fee for the use of it or anything like that. I, there's really no mechanism to, to extract that. I think the question for a debate to be had after this crisis passes is, you know, how big is too big, and at what point do you break up Amazon or, or say that if they are going to, you know, if any company is going to do what Amazon is doing, they have to stick to one particular vertical line of products, for example. Um, you can, you know, right. because they have both vertical integration and hor- horizontal integration. And sure. that used to be a violation of the antitrust laws. It used to be, um, you know, you can't, in fact, they, you know, both kinds of integration were, were illegal. You couldn't be the movie company that makes the movie and then also be the company that owns the theaters. That was actually a law that was passed during World War II um, and, and, and produced a lot of innovation. You can't be the television networks that carry the shows and be the, the companies and own the companies that produce those shows. That law went into effect in the 1970s and it opened opened up. Mary Tyler Moore was the first person to really use that well with MTM Productions. And uh, she started producing all these shows for evening TV that were spectacular. She was not owned by one of the television networks. So Congress banned vertical integration. The courts have said, well, it's okay now. Um, And then horizontal integration, you know, the same thing. You can't have one company own every single gas station in an entire state, for example. Um, So, you know, Amazon is practicing both those things. They're now, if you go on Amazon and you search for batteries, uh, they will show you Rayovac, but they'll also show you Amazon brand batteries. So they're vertically integrating in product by product category, and then they're horizontally integrated across product categories. And and you know, I think both of those things combined have given them this enormous market power, and it needs to be reevaluated. Roy, thanks a lot for the call. I got to move along here. John in uh, Santa Fe, New Mexico. Hey, John, thanks for listening to KTRC. What's up? Hey, Tom, I just wanted to encourage your listeners to check out uh, Worldometer or Worldometer, W-O-R-L-D-ometer. And it has good graphs that show you actually the, you know, how it's going logarithmic. Uh, The United States has not gone vertical on that, but the world, uh, you know, the world graph of total cases, it's totally vertical. We're going to see a lot more cases. If you check it out, It'll give you a visual instead of just a bunch of numbers in your head. 
Yeah, and there's one that uh, from uh, Johns Hopkins as well. And this is this is where it gets really concerning. This is uh, from Agence France Press, AFP, out of Paris. COVID-19 could lead to more than 80,000 deaths in the United States and overwhelm hospital capacity nationally as soon as early April, even if social distancing measures are respected, according to a new research released Thursday today. The U.S. death toll has already soared past 1,000, and they're saying, with 68,000 confirmed infections, and they're saying it could be 80,000 deaths. And, you know, there are other studies suggesting, and that's just, you know, within the next month or so, there are other studies suggesting that it could be several million American deaths. Trump has just done so much damage to this nation by refusing to pay attention to the lessons from the Obama administration, because it was the Obama administration, and God forbid, and by lying to us for several months. In fact, the network, CNN, MSNBC, there's an article in, in the Daily Beast today saying that they're seriously considering no longer carrying Trump's afternoon, uh, and thank you, John, for the call, Trump's afternoon uh, press conferences where he's talking about the coronavirus because there's so many lies in them, and they can't do real live, real-time fact-checking. And so one of the producers said, well, maybe we'll just carry it until the first lie comes out, and then we'll cut away. And another producer is saying, well, why don't we why don't we just take clips from it and build it into kind of a newscast an hour later so we can just take out the stuff that's You're true. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. But the bottom line is people tune into these Trump press conferences in the afternoon thinking that they're, you know, they're desperate for information. And then he lies through his teeth at them and uses it to bash Democrats in the media. Michael in Hammond, Indiana. Hey, Michael, what's on your mind today? Is it possible to suspend a national election due to a national emergency? Congress has the power to do that. The White House does not. So how does that work? Can you explain that for me? Well, Congress would have to pass a law saying that we're suspending the election for this particular reason because of this particular emergency, and this is when the election will be held. Congress has never done that. We went through the Civil War without doing that, and hopefully Congress will never do it again. But that's how it would have to happen, Michael. You know, I'm holding my breath and hoping that we, we don't ever get to that. But it looks to me like the Republicans are trying to set this up by refusing to uh, pass legislation that would give enough money to the states that they could all start doing um, mail-in ballots. Melissa in Seattle. Hey, Melissa, what's up? Hi, Tom. Thanks for taking my call. I wanted to touch base and elaborate on a caller who was also from Seattle, Washington, yesterday. And he was talking about PPE protective, you know, uh, personal protective equipment. Yeah, exactly. Thank you very much. And more specifically masks. So Mm -hmm. what I am getting from people here is, and I'm not sure where this started, but me and you ordinary people going online and buying up all these masks and hoarding them for ourselves. Now I find that to be ridiculous. Like that's just not the case. So we're getting a lot of backlash just regular people who aren't in the healthcare industry from wearing masks out in public. We're literally Mm. being shamed because, you know, okay, I want to protect myself because like the caller said yesterday, we don't know who has it. There's no testing. So everybody plus by wearing the mask, you're protecting people around you too in the event that you are infected and don't realize it. Yeah. Precisely. And then going back to what you were saying with Malcolm X about the oppressed, I want to know, when are the oppressed going to stop blaming the oppressed and start blaming the oppressors? Because right. it's just, you know, a man in suit yelling at my girlfriend for giving a homeless man money. What is that? Why? Mm. I, I just, it's just sad and it's very disheartening. Yeah. And I hope that we can start really pointing the finger at who is truly to blame for these economic issues. Because it's certainly yeah. not my fault, and it's certainly not your fault why there's not enough masks for the healthcare workers. I yep. mean, God bless them all. They are our heroes, and I give them the utmost respect. But for a healthcare worker to get angry at an ordinary person who maybe is not in that field wearing a mask, come on. 
that's got to no, stop. I, I, I get yeah. it, Melissa. And, and if you've got a, you know, a half a dozen masks at home, that's a whole different thing from somebody who has hoarded you know, thousands of them, which apparently some of these big wholesalers, you know, they're hoarding tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, and maybe even exactly. millions of them. That's where it's really, really wrong. Melissa, thank you for the call. Eric in Erie, Pennsylvania. Hey, Eric, what's on your mind? Hey, good afternoon, Tom. Thanks for taking my call. I'd like to offer kind of a public service announcement to everybody out there, particularly mm-hmm. in the more rural areas. As a transplanted New Yorker into Erie, Pennsylvania, I'm not real happy with the place, but I thought this pandemic situation is the one time I could be grateful for it because of my semi-isolation and case density, and uh, it's pretty provincial, not a lot of travelers here. And our case numbers were low, and our first case got announced maybe 15, 18 days ago, and it soon after came out that case number one had traveled in with it from a hot zone and was tested pretty immediately. And the doctor apparently did not give self-quarantine instructions for the five days of the test result. And this individual went out into the community. And uh, 10 days later, we now have five confirmed cases in Erie County, Pennsylvania. But cases number three and four are directly linked to one. And they're now thinking it's a public business that sells and services and deals with a lot of customers. So one, oh, no. three, and four are in this locus that yeah. I think no, we're, I, gonna, we're about to explode. So pay attention to your local public health officials and your local news as well as the national stuff. Eric, thank you. We'll be right back. Portland, Oregon. Hey, Lori, what's up? Yes, I wanted to bring up an idea about feeding the truckers, mm-hmm. but I also wanted to say that I called in last week about Airbnb, and we have got notice that pressures from hosts, they have opened them up to first responders. And those of us who can do it for free mm-hmm. are offering our homes for free, and those that can't, they're letting go of all the fees so that they can make it affordable. So that's a good thing. And the other right idea here. I had for feeding... Yeah. For feeding truckers is all of these food carts that are sitting in areas where there used to be foot traffic. I wonder how possible it would be because I know they're mobile to get them to truck stops because I know the truckers are having a hard time getting food on their route. So I don't even know if that's possible. That's a great idea. That might... Yeah, it would depend on the state. It would depend on how rigid the clampdowns were. But uh, yeah, the truckers are having, you know, we're hearing that from truckers who listen to this show on Sirius XM mostly. And yeah, that's, that's excellent. Lori, thank you. You're a font of brilliant ideas. Inez in uh, Villa Rica, Georgia. Hey, Inez, what's up? Hi. I was just wondering, our seniors that are on retirement, will they be getting part of this stimulus? Yes. If you're on Social Security, you will get, uh, assuming that your income is under $150,000 a year, you will, or you're, you know, uh, individually $75,000, you will get 1200 bucks in your check. There you go. Okay. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Thanks a lot, Inez. Jeff in Portland, Oregon. Hey, Jeff, what's up? Tom, last week, Will Bunch, a columnist for the Philadelphia Inquirer, he tweeted a link to the WAPO piece about how Trump was warned back in January about the coming pandemic. And Mr. Bunch captioned the tweet, quote, coronavirus determined to strike inside the U.S., unquote, a biting reference, direct reference to Bush being warned about Osama bin Laden prior to 9-11. So besides beating that truth like a drum, as you've been doing so well, Tom, what do you think of the idea of Bernie's campaign and Joe Biden's, for that matter, former a shadow coronavirus political task force that holds a national press conference every day to give a report of what's really going on around the country, keeping people informed and debunking Trump's lies and propaganda. I think this is something that uh, Tom Perez and the Democratic Party should be kicking around doing. It's being done ad hoc by Governor Cuomo of New York State. But your point is, your suggestion, your thought is a, a good one, Jeff. You know, Trump is doing his dog and pony show every day. And there needs to be a show that that contrasts with his. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. And frankly, in my opinion, there needs to be a show that calls him out.
So back in 2016, the election year, Donald Trump was not yet president. He was just running a scam university, Trump University. That year, and Barack Obama was president, that year, Corinthian Colleges and ITT Technical Institute, two scam for-profit colleges, went out of business and ended up leaving thousands, maybe tens of thousands of students just basically screwed. No degree, no job, and massive amounts of student debt. So President Obama and the Secretary of, of uh, Education put together this plan. It's called the Borrower Defense Rule. that said that if somebody got ripped off by one of these for-profit colleges, they didn't have to pay back the debt. If it was student debt that was issued by the federal government, we would just eat it as a country. They were the victims of fraud. Well, it turns out Betsy DeVos had other ideas. She came into office, of course, just months afterwards as Donald Trump was sworn into office, and she's been fighting it all the way. You can check the whole thing out over at TomHartman.com and our new video for supporters of our program. Beverly in Wellborn, Florida. Hey, Beverly, what's on your mind today? Hi, Tom. I'm calling because I found out today that not only did our governor allow another cruise ship in with 23 people with the virus get off, but a, a cruise ship from Argentina that no other country would allow to dock, they let in to dock in Miami. When? I guess yesterday or very recent. I just found this out about two oh. hours ago. So, yeah, I'll have That's to I'll have to disturbing. look for that story. That's amazing. I mean, yeah, you've got a governor who's just a classic Republican. He's totally irresponsible and he's just a hustler. Oh. I mean, it's it's so sad. Beverly, thank you for the call. Ron in San Francisco, watching us on YouTube. Hey, Ron, what's up? Concerned about an issue, and that's the kids who are vaping the e-cigarette products and any kind of a, a substance that they put into it. <clears throat> and they're the lung afflictions uh, for a few. And now how this virus might be enhanced by users, teen users of the vaping products. Yeah. And well, what, what, what is known, Ron, is that people who have any sort of lung damage or lung disease are at higher risk of dying from this virus or getting very, very sick because it basically attacks lung tissue. And so obviously, if you're somebody who smokes or vapes regularly, um, uh, I'd say smokes in particular, but, you know, and obviously if they're taking these uh, illegal vape products or these, you know, black market vape products that have uh, vitamin E acetate in them, um, they're going to damage their lungs in ways that will make them more vulnerable. But I think the big message is to smokers to say, you know, you need to quit smoking right now. Tom in Miami, Florida. Hey, Tom, what's on your mind today? The comparative mortality figures between Germany and Italy. Italy, according to their reported cases versus deaths, is about 11%. Germany is six-tenths of a percent. And Germany has right. a substantial number of cases. The thing is that there are drugs on the market that have small trials, 300, that basically cut the virus times in your body very quickly. but. Yeah. Michael, Michael, there's there, you know, we're not we're not going to be talking on the air about magic cures or anything like that. But yes, you're absolutely right that the German uh, death rate is below the Italian death rate. One there, there's probably several reasons for this. The main reason is probably that Germany is just now starting the curve. You've got two weeks from the time somebody's infected until they show symptoms. Then you've got two weeks from the time they show symptoms until they end up in the ICU. And then you've got two weeks from the time they end up in the ICU until they're dead for that you know, one or two or three percent who die. So Germany is not yet into that curve. They haven't yet hit the dead part yet. Italy has been in the dead part for a while. It's number one. Number two, Germany is doing aggressive testing and quarantining of people. So several friends of mine are Germans in Germany and we've been corresponding in email and they're, they're in total lockdown. Italy didn't do that early on before, before the crisis hit. Germany's doing that before the crisis hits. So therefore, their hospitals are not overwhelmed. In Italy, there are people showing up at the hospitals who might be saved if there was an available ventilator, but there's no available ventilator. For more than a week now, they have been prioritizing ventilators for people under 60, you know, and people who don't have comorbid conditions. So a lot of the deaths that are happening in Italy right now are because Italy is making the exact same stupid mistake 
that America is making, or at least the red states are making, of saying, oh, yeah, no problem. You know, we'll, we'll worry about it when it becomes a crisis. Germany is saying, no, not going to do that. And so their hospital system in Germany has not yet been overwhelmed. So they're able to care for people. And then number three, one of the reasons why Germany has a lower death rate than Italy is probably that they have a larger pool of people who've been tested because they're aggressively testing people all around the, all around the state. Dave in Hoffman State's Illinois. When Trump had kept saying that the disease would probably go away when the warm weather hits, well, how does he talk mm-hmm. about with uh, Florida, New Orleans, Louisiana, and uh, Houston, Texas, Mississippi? Right now, I believe the temperatures are up in the upper 80s and stuff there. How hot does yeah. it need to get? Well, and, and for that matter, southern Italy, which is starting, you know, it's starting to roar into southern Italy now. It came into northern Italy, you know, on the back of a tourist, basically, or a person who had been traveling. And he came back and, and then, you know, went to some big social event and boom, it just got spread. This is what's going to happen with the churches in the south here in the United States. Now that the governor of Mississippi has said, go back to church, it's all good. And Donald Trump is talking, we'll go back to church by Easter. And so people are not taking it as seriously as they otherwise would. And this is a real flaming disaster. So, anyhow, thanks for being with us this week. It's been a rough week. Uh, you know, I don't think it's going to get any better. But if we hold together and if we hold each other in light and love and care and are considerate to the people around us and use our, our phones and our electronic media to reach out to neighbors and, and cut people a little slack, I think we'll make it through, at least most of us. And those who don't, well, you can lay their blood on Donald Trump's hands. We'll see you tomorrow, or we'll see you Monday, excuse me. Uh, And in the meantime, have a great and careful weekend. And get out there, get active, tag your... You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. 